Amen. I want us to start tonight, and I want us to think about some verses here. First one's in Isaiah 5, verse 13. The scripture says, Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. My people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Hosea 4, 6 is pretty similar to that. It says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He says, Because you've rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. Ephesians 2.12, the Bible says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When you don't know the covenant, you're basically without God in the world. You got to know the covenant. We need to know what God has said. The Apostle Paul many times said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. I've, also, I've often thought he said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. <laughs> but he was saying, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. When God's people are without knowledge of God's promises and his directives, they basically are at the mercy of the devil who has no mercy. They fall prey to whatever the devil wants to do. Um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Uh, my biggest frustration, probably anywhere around, is that, is that people, many church people, aren't taught the word and aren't encouraged to, to know it for themselves. Um, we live in a time where uh, where this message of of entitlement that has been called grace has been misapplied, and people think that because they're born again that God owes them things, and they believe that that just because they call themselves a Christian that they don't have to fight. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled over the years. And I've said, well, this is a fight. And they've said, I don't want to fight. I don't want to do anything. I just want God to take care of this for me. Um, you know, just because we walk down the aisle and they dunked us in the tub doesn't entitle us to sit on the pew for the rest of our lives and let preacher fight the devil for us. There, there's more to it than that. When things aren't easy, when, that, when, that, when that's thought, when things get tough, people quit on God because they think that God let them down some way because they've not been taught the word. They don't know how to walk by faith and fight the fight of faith. And, and, and that's, we, need to, we need to be people who, who understand how to fight. It's a little bit what we're talking about tonight and last week. This, I don't know if I said it this way last week, but this is what I want to say tonight. What God leaves up to us, we can't leave up to him. What God leaves up to us, we can't leave up to him. There's more to Christianity than just getting saved and going to heaven. There's a fight. The Bible reveals that there's more to do it. Four times the scripture says that the just live by faith. 
We are to live by faith. The word live here has to do with deporting ourselves continually by faith. It's talking about the kind of faith that was involved at the new birth is the kind of faith we're supposed to live by. It's more than that one-time event. It means our salvation experience was only the introduction to the faith movement or the faith walk that we should walk in. It means the rest of our life of walking with God will make about as much sense to us in our minds as getting born again made sense to us. See, we, we, when I, I remember when I was a little boy trying to think about uh, why, why did I have to go to the front and confess Jesus as my Savior, but I was so convinced if I didn't, I was going to go to hell that I did it. And I'm happy that I did because it seemed like it took and they put me in the tank and I've had this, this, this thing wanting God. Walking by faith means we don't live by our feelings. Much of what's taught, in, in not, I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about the church at large, is about people's felt needs. If we can just meet the need you feel like you have, then we're doing our job and you'll feel good about yourself and everything will be, everybody will be happy. We need to live by what the word says. People are confused and thinking that once they're saved, that everything else that happens to them is the will of God. Well, it just must be the will of God. And I, we talked about this a little bit last week. Well, everything is just the will of God that happens because I'm a Christian. Really. When you slept late or overslept and you were late for work and you got chewed out by your boss, was that the perfect plan and will of God? Or is that something you had control over? When, when the dog got out because you left the gate open and you had to chase it down the alley and around the block, was that somehow the perfect will of God for you? When you caught up with that dog, he probably didn't think it was the perfect will of God for him. When you said this morning, honey, we're out of cornflakes. Is that somehow the perfect plan of God for your life? You see, so often we, we think, well, everything else that happens. Listen, I believe that God can and will use anything that we give to him. But he's not the cause of all that we experience every single day. Let me read these, these verses. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is from the Good News Translation. I'm going to read verse 15 and verse 19. I really like the way the Bible says it here. It says, today I'm giving you a choice between good and evil, between life and death. The Lord said, today I'm giving you a choice. Verse 19, he said, now I'm giving you the choice between life and death, between God's blessing and God's curse. And I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Choose life. Here, the children of Israel had a choice to make. The will of God wasn't just there. They had to choose the will of God. They could choose against it if they wanted to. They had to choose his will. We make choices. When it's our choice, God can't make the choice for us. He can suggest the right choice. He can say, I'm giving you a choice here between blessing and cursing. I'm thinking you ought to choose blessing. But if you choose the curse, it's your choice. It's, it, we get to do that. My... Let me just be real clear. My decision does not save me. Only God can save me. As Joe taught a few weeks ago. Only God can save me. 
but my decision gives God permission in my life. I have to choose Him. He'll never violate my will regarding my personal salvation. Now, in a prophetic sense, when he's talking about end times and things that are going to happen, he's going to violate a lot of people's will. Okay, When the earth burns in a fervent heat, that's going to be against a lot of people's will. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in my personal journey, my personal walk with him, he will never violate my will. I get to choose. One thing we need to know about God is that he designed us with free wills. I can choose. I can choose to follow him. I can choose to not follow him. I can choose to sin, which is not the will of God. Or I can choose to do what he tells me to do. I can do that. Our decisions determine our direction. Our directions determine our destinations. We get to choose. I heard a guy, heard of a guy at a factory who said, you know, since we've been strictly following the safety rules here at the plant, it sure seems that that, that, that is causing God not to take any more home than he was, as many home as he was before. When we follow the safety rules, it made a difference. When we made a choice, it changed things. Okay, this we read this verse, this this passage last week. This is out of Mark chapter nine, verse twenty-three. Jesus has come off the Mount of Transfiguration. The, the, the disciples are trying to cast a demon out of a guy. They can't get it out. The guy comes to Jesus, and and he wants Jesus to help him. And the guy says this. He says, "But this is the Amplified version." He says, "But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us." That's amazing. He goes to Jesus and says, but if you can do anything. And Jesus says, you say to me, if I can do any, if you can do anything, why all things are possible to him that believes. Another version says it this way. The guy says, if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus said, if I can do anything, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So last week we began talking about that. The church has been assigned impossible tasks. I mean, our church... Our church and the other churches, we have been assigned to take the gospel message to the whole world. We've been assigned to do that. Sadly, because it seems so impossible, many churches and most Christians are doing nothing. It's, just, it's, it's impossible to do. The early church, however, they simply believed Jesus, and the scripture says they turned their world upside down. Actually, they turned it right side up. We need to be turning our world, our city, our the world around us, we need to be turning it upside down. Our, we're to live lives of victory, demonstrating to the world around us that Jesus is alive and that our God is God. The text we just read, it's self-explanatory. The man was talking about if Jesus was able, Jesus was talking about if the man could believe. And Jesus said, all things are possible to those that believe. I don't know about you, I believe what he said. He said, all things are possible. Now, again, we can look up this little Greek word, all, and it means all. All things are possible. What things is he talking about? All things that God has promised are possible to those that believe. All of them. All right. He said, all things are possible to believers. Now, not all Christians are believers. Now, they believed enough to get born again, but they quit believing the moment they got saved. And all of a sudden, we've been taught, or people have been taught, that miracles passed away with the apostles. I mean, I'm sure you've all heard that before. 
the last, when the last apostle died, miracles passed away. We can't really trace, trace it back to find out who that apostle was, but we know that supposedly the miracles died then. Right? We need to learn to believe. For the impossible to become possible, we must be actively engaged in believing that whatever God says in his word, we can have and we can do. Whatever he said. This, it's a right now kind of believing, not a kind of belief that believes what happened, but a kind of belief that believes that what God said is true and that, that I can stand on it today. It's not having believed, it is truly believing. Last week we talked about the need for believers to take control. We've allowed the devil to be in control, and we're not going to win our families, win our cities, win the things that God's called us to until we realize we've got to take control. We must not be deceived into thinking there's nothing we can do. So therefore, I'm going to do nothing. Jesus said we must believe. We can and we will win them. Billy Graham told the story of a time early in his career when he was in a small town and he was going to preach a sermon. He was waiting. He was wanting to mail a letter. So he asked this young boy where the post office was. When the boy told him, Reverend Graham thanked him and he said, you know what? If you come to the Baptist church tonight, you can hear me telling everybody how to get to heaven. And the little boy said to him, I don't think I'll be here, be there. And Billy Graham said, what? He said, no, you don't even know the way to the post office. <laughs> we need to know the way, and we need to demonstrate the way to people. All right. So in addition to taking control, and we had fun last week looking at, at Scripture about David and Goliath and how David took control. But in, order to in, order, in addition to taking control, we must take authority. When you understand authority, you can take control. When you understand authority, we must know that we have authority over the devil, over the devil's plans, and over all demons. No matter how high-ranking the evil spirit may be, you have authority over that spirit. Amen. We need to be convinced of this fact. When we wake up in the morning... And our feet hit the floor. The devil should be saying, oh, crap, he's awake again. <laughs> we need to be the ones who understand we have authority. Not just when we get to heaven, we have authority in the earth. People, sometimes over the years, people have gotten nervous when I start talking about having authority over the devil. And they said to me, aren't you afraid that'll make him mad? <laughs> and this is my, always my reply. The, the book of Revelation said he's full of wrath. You can't be more full than full. He's already mad. And there's no need in me getting on his side and helping him out. Some people say, yeah, but, but Jesus defeated the devil, and he's a defeated foe, so we don't have to fight him. Or we don't even have to take the authority over him because the work is finished. Yes, Jesus conquered the devil. No question about it. Colossians 2.15 says of Jesus, having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in his cross. Jesus overcame the devil, stripped him of his, of his domain in the earth. The devil stands no chance against the power of Jesus' cross, his blood, and his name. But we must invoke that very same authority. The apostle said, fight the good fight of faith. He said that to Timothy after Jesus was resurrected. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Hear me, it's only a good fight because we win. Somebody said to me one time when the Cowboys lost by one point, they said it was a good game. 
And I said, no, it wasn't a good game. It's only a good game when we win. And I said, it's really a good game if we win by 40 points. It's a good game. I mean, when Tech won 77 or nothing the other day, that's a good game. That's a good game. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. By the way, that's a part of the fight is what we say. The moment we say, I can't, I don't have the ability. You're exactly right, but don't, don't discount the anointing. Don't discount the name of Jesus. See, the devil is still the God of this world, according to the scripture. He is still the prince of the power of the air, and he will continue to be so until the second advent of Jesus. So we have a job to do over this enemy. We have authority over the devil. It's only available to those who will appropriate it by faith in what God has said. The devil still has the power to steal, to kill, and to destroy those who were only born in a family of Adam because Adam gave him the dominion. He has no authority over those who are born into the family of the second Adam. Amen. If we operate the word in faith, we have authority. I love what Jesus said in Luke 10:19. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means will hurt you. In the passage, the first time that, in the King James, the first time it says power, the Greek word is exousia, which means authority or delegated authority. He said, behold, I give you authority over all the power. He uses the word power again. That time the word power is dunamis, which means supernatural power, miracle power. But it's talking about the devil's power. Jesus said, I give you authority over the power of the devil. He has some power. He has some power. So we need to know he has power. In Revelation 13, 4, it says, And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. Talking about the devil and the Antichrist. It says the devil gave power. This time the word is exousia. It says the devil gave authority to the Antichrist. So the devil has some power, he has authority, but only over those who are ignorant of the word of God and of the covenant that they can stand in. We've got to stand on what God has said. We've got ignorance of, 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 of our covenant and of our authority is deadly. We've got to learn how to take authority. So let me read you a passage of scripture from the Old Testament. This is in 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read several verses beginning in verse 30 if you want to look and, and follow with me. 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 30. It says, And Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Verse 31. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood on the altar, he cut the bullock in pieces, laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. I love he called it a burnt sacrifice. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, Do it a third time. They did it a third time, and the water ran round the altar, ran 
round about the altar. He filled the trench with water also, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day. I love this little prayer here. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. I love this part I like. And that I am thy servant. He said, let them know you're God and I'm your guy. <laughs> and that I've done all these things at thy word. If a preacher said that today, people would accuse him of being arrogant. But Elijah said, God, I want you to show him you're God, and I'm the man that you sent. He says, Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water, and all that was in the trench. And when, he, when the people saw it, they fell on their faces, no kidding, and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, you know this story. I mean, Elijah here in this passage is taking authority over the king, over the prophets of Baal, and over the false god Baal himself. Now, when we read from the Old Testament, we can bring application to our lives. I've always said it this way about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the gospel concealed. The New Testament is the gospel revealed. And so in this passage, we're going to make some application. Here's what happened. Elijah took authority in this situation. I mean, if you read, if you know the story here, Elijah had gone to Ahab. The Bible calls him the most evil king of all Israel. And Elijah had gone to Ahab and he had warned him and warned him that he needed to repent, he needed to change his ways. And then finally he said, okay, it's not going to rain until I say. That's, that's pretty good to prophesy. It's not going to rain until I say. And now three and a half years later, it's not rained at all. And the people are in the most severe of droughts. They can't find water for their cattle. There's no grass for their cattle to eat. I mean, they're in a bad place because Elijah hadn't said it's going to rain yet. And so earlier in that chapter, the king runs into Elijah and, and, and he tells him, he said, he said, you're the reason for all the trouble in Israel. And Elijah looks back at him and says, no, you're the reason for the trouble in Israel. You had a chance to repent. You didn't do it. I mean, you're the reason. But what but the king says, it's your fault. I mean, that's exactly what the world does today, right? Mm -hmm. They look at the church and they say, when we don't agree with their system, they say, this, the problems are you. You're the one. They don't want to hear the word of God. They, they think the word of God is the problem. The word of God is the answer. All right. It, it, we need to believe. We need to take the word of God. Elijah told the king, he said, no, this is your fault. You're the problem. Then he challenges the king. I love this story. He challenges the king. He said, I'm going to tell you what, let's do. If I'm the problem, you get all your prophets of Baal. And you have them meet me at Carmel. And we're going to see whose God is God. We're going to offer a sacrifice. And we're going to find out who the living God is. He took authority. I mean, he just takes authority. Last week, it wasn't interesting. Last week we found out that, that, that Goliath made the rules. And then David had to stand up to it. I like this story. The man of God, he made the rules. He chose. He made the rules. He took authority by, number one, making a decision. If we're going to take authority in the Spirit, we're going to have to make a firm decision. I love it when Elijah says in verse 21 of that chapter, says, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you halt between two opinions? They hadn't decided yet. If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. 
And the people answered him not a word. They didn't know what to say. We must, if we're going to take authority, we must choose the word over everything we see, over everything we feel. We must choose the word, no matter what it looks like. You'll never take authority over the devil as long as you're not sure. The devil, he is such a liar. I mean, he'll tell you everything. I told you when I grew up in the charismatic renewal back in the 70s, our big entertainment on the weekends was to go to the all-night restaurant and find people who came in after the bar clo- I mean, after the bars closed. And we'd go in there and witness to people. And our goal, or well, our, our, our delight was to find somebody who was demon-possessed. <laughs> and we would take them back to the church and we'd start casting the devil out of them. Uh, you know, I'm all of 18 years old, and my friends were about that same age. We were going to this little church, and the preacher was 24 years old. <laughs> and he was a Baptist preacher that just got spirit-filled. Then we had a worship leader, a song leader, and he was, I think, 22. And so we'd go to these, we'd grab people, you know, and, and we'd take them back to the church, and we'd start casting the devil out of them, and these demons would start talking to us. And I mean, they would tell us everything. You're not good enough. You you don't have the power to do this. You can't do that. I mean, I'll come out if you give me a drink of water. I'll come out if you buy me a hamburger. I, there were, I mean, all kinds of stuff they were telling us they would do. But we knew, even as young men, we knew that we knew we had authority over them. We were never afraid of them. Even though this this supernatural thing would, would come I and mean, you'd hear women talking in men's voices and, and all these things. I'm not saying it to scare anybody. I'm just telling you this. We have authority. And if you, if, you, if you doubt and you wonder if it could work, you'll never get the results you're supposed to have. Now, you can doubt in your mind, but you've got to believe in your heart. You've got to hear me here. You can see things and you can wonder. But I'll tell you, we need to know that we know when make a decision. God's word is true. Elijah took authority because he got on the offensive. The scripture says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Where are the gates of hell? They're not up here. The church somehow is waiting for the devil to come and for us to hunker down. No, no, we need to attack the gates of hell. We need to go after that. We must be on the offensive. We'll never have authority over the devil if we're always defensive. I love that Elijah made the rules. He took control. He engaged the enemy. He called them out. Listen, as long as we're on the run trying to get away from the enemy's attacks, we're never going to take authority over him. As long as we're afraid and backing up, we're not going to take authority. Uh, uh, Paul pointed out last week that when David, when he, when, he, when he spoke to Goliath, the scripture says he ran toward him. I mean, he just, he's just like, you know what? I'm taking authority here. When we decide that we're advancing the kingdom, we can take authority. We take authority by having confidence in God and in his word, not in us. Now, Elijah could be construed as being arrogant, but he was very confident. I love it. Let it be known this day that I've done all these things at thy word. He had confidence in the word of God. I mean, he, everything he was doing was because he heard what God told him to do. He was so confident. If you read this whole story, he was so confident in the word of God and what God promised him that while the prophets of Baal, they cut up their animal, they put it on their altar, and they began to cry out to Baal for fire. Y'all read the story, right? They cried out to Baal. They were crying out. And Elijah was so confident in God's word that he began to taunt them. 
I mean, they're cutting themselves and they're crying out. And the Message Bible says, verse 21, it says, By noon, Elijah started making fun of them and, and, and taunting. He says, call a little louder. He is a God after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere or another. Maybe he's got involved in a project or, or, or maybe he's on vacation. Do you suppose he's overslept? Does he just need to be waked up? He began to taunt them. I mean, in the King James it says, maybe he's pursuing. What that literally means is, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's on the porcelain throne at this time and you can't get him to come out. He was so confident in the Word of God that he didn't care that, that, that they, it would make them mad because he didn't, it wasn't bothered by their anger. I mean, he was absolutely convinced that God's Word is true. And he wasn't going to be intimidated by them. He wasn't going to be intimidated by their demon God. He was absolutely convinced. That's where we need to be, convinced in the Word of God. So convinced that we can make fun of the devil. He, he, took, he took authority because he had confidence in God and his Word. He took authority because he knew who he was. See, Elijah knew that he was God's man. We got to know that we're God's people. We're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. I mean, Elijah said, The Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God, and I am your servant. He knew who he was. You've got to know who you are in Christ to take authority. As long as you believe you're a worm of the dust, it ain't going to happen. The moment you know that you know you know that the blood of Jesus has value. And that's what God spent for you. You can take authority. You can stand on what God has said. I mean, we need to understand we have authority. Most of all, Elijah took authority by knowing the source of the power that backed him. Elijah knew it wasn't his power. It wasn't Elijah that was going to do it. He knew that our God is God, and he's the only one that can answer by fire. I really like this story. I mean, he built this altar with these 12 rocks. He cuts up a cow. He says, okay, now dig a ditch around it. And they're digging a ditch. He says, okay, I need some, some barrels of water. I mean, you know if you're going to offer a fire, if you're going to sacrifice and put, make it fiery, you don't pour water on it. But he, was so, he was so confident in God, in God's power. He said, pour the water on it. Fill them up and do it again. Fill them up and do it again. Three times. And the water ran off and filled up the ditch. And when Elijah prayed, I mean, he put himself on the line to the degree that God's power was the only answer. The only answer was God's power. I mean, he didn't just believe for the power. He was absolutely pouring himself out for the power. I mean, he did a lot of work. I mean, he, you know, he cut up an animal. He put the rocks in place. You know, he, he did some work, but he knew that it was God's power that was going to do it. You can take authority over the devil when God becomes your source, your only source. Elijah put himself in a corner. If God didn't come through for him, he was going to look foolish. Elijah was. But he was doing what God told him to do. He prayed the prayer. Wouldn't you love to have been there? The fire came down and took care of the water. The 
altar, the cow, and everything. All those people said, mm, that God is God. That's who God is because Elijah took authority. Now let's talk about us for a few minutes here. We'll look back at Luke 10, 19 again. He said, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, serpents and scorpions are pictures of demon forces and over all the power of the enemy, all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus said, we have authority over all of Satan's power. Remember one time we were casting out a demon. This was uh, when we had our church in Dumas. And this demon, this demon says to me, he says, I'm the kind that can only come out through prayer and fasting. <laughs> and I said, really? And he said, yes, you can't get me out. I said, let me tell you two things. <laughs> number one, I have faith to cast you out. And number two, I fasted this week for three days. <laughs> so you come out in Jesus' name. You see, we have authority. The devil is powerless against the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and a believer who will stand in authority. He can't, he can't, he can't face you. He can't with, withstand you. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. He said, all power, how much? All, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. You see, Jesus went down there. And he took the keys of hell and of death. He has all power. What Adam had given to Satan, Jesus took it back. He said, I have all power in heaven and earth. All of it. He said, go ye therefore. He said, I got all the power. So here's what I'm doing. I'm empowering you to go. Go ye therefore. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He was telling these disciples and us, he said, I've retaken all the authority, I have it all, and as a result of that, my victory, now you go in that authority. We have that authority. I mean, the, the, the word here is exousia. We have authority. We are kind of like... Have you, ever, have you ever come to an intersection where the traffic light is out and there's a policeman directing traffic? And, and he's there and he's got a whistle in his mouth and he, go, he goes, tweet, holds his hand up. What happens? The car stops. Does he have the, the power, the physical power in his hand to stop a car? Well, no, he doesn't, but he can stop an 18-wheeler. Put up his hand. And he can tell that group to go, and he can tell this group to come. He can do all just by standing there. Why? Because he has authority. He doesn't have the physical authority to stop the drivers in their vehicles if they chose not to stop. But, but he doesn't stand in his own strength. He stands in the authority that's been invested in him by the government that he serves. He stands in that authority. People recognize the authority, and they stop their cars because he has the authority. If they don't, something bad is going to happen to them. One time on the day after Christmas, I saw this with my own eyes. A woman was, this was in Amarillo, there was this woman, she was wanting to go from Target out to go home, I guess. 
but there were pe crowds of people at Target and at Best Buy, and they were right across from each other. And a policeman was 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 directing traffic, and this woman was she had to be 80 years old. She was in a in a in a brand new Cadillac, and she did not want to wait. And the policeman said, "Stop!" And she was yelling something at him. He said, "Stop!" And she inched forward. And he said, "Stop!" And she inched forward and bumped him with her car. Whoa. Let me tell you about authority. He walked over to her car, opened her door, took her out of the car, handcuffed her. The other police car came, took her to the station. It was Thanksgiving weekend. It was it was the day after Thanksgiving. It was Black Friday. Well, there are no judges in town to get you out of jail on Black Friday. They're all on vacation. He had her car impounded. He had authority, and he proved it right there. She spent the weekend in jail because she couldn't get out. We have that kind of authority over the devil. He inches his little car up there, and he bumps into us and says, you can't stop me. Yes, we can with God's word and with his authority in us because we're backed by his government. We have authority over the devil. We have authority. We can do that. You see, we have authority. It's been, it's been vested in us by the Lord Jesus. Listen to this verse of scripture. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I know you've read that a bunch of times. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The little phrase, be strong, the Greek word is endunamao. It comes from two Greek words, en and dunamis. En means the word in. Dunamis means miracle, explosive power. He says, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered or be, it's talking about, have power within. It's talking about an explosive miracle power that's deposited into some type of container, vessel, or other type of receptacle. It's talking about miracle power that is put into something. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about this explosive power that is in me, that is in you. It says, be strong in the Lord. This kind of explosive power is only available in the Lord. Wait a minute. The scripture says, we are in Christ. We are the receptacles for this explosive miracle power. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word power, the Greek word here is kratos, which means the, it, it's power that is demonstrative, eruptive, tangible. It's not talking about intellectual power. It's talking about manifested acts of power. Be strong in the Lord. Be the receptacle of the explosive power of God that is in him, that is tangibly manifested of his might. The word might is the Greek word ishkus, which, which conveys the picture of a large, strong man, like a, a bodybuilder or a mighty man with great muscular capabilities. It's this kind of might that can only come from God. The Word of God tells us we are containers of supernatural power because we are in Him. And that makes us makes us people that, that, that power can be demonstrated through. 
and the devil has to obey us. That's the kind of authority we stand in. The scripture says in 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I mean, that's what's inside of us. The scripture says this. I really like this. This is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. It says, And what is, he, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. The scripture says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of power of the universe. And in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. We are at the right hand of God at the seat of power, the seat of authority, the seat of everything. When you read, when you read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 on, there's a lot that's in, in the parentheses. But it actually connects to chapter 2. And I'm going to read these, these verses here without some italicized words. And I'm going to connect verse the, the end of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 2. Here's what it actually says. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set at his, at his, at his own right hand in the heavenlies, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. It actually tells us that God that he wrought in Christ this miracle power when he raised him from the dead, and he did the same thing in us when he raised us from the death of our sins, that God poured into us his miracle power. This authority was given to Christ. It belongs to him, but it works through us, and we should exercise it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, and you know this verse, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They'll cast out devils. In other words, they cast them out because they have authority to them. Not one single time in the New Testament is the church ever told to pray that God the Father or that Jesus would do something against the devil. Did you know that? We're not instructed to pray, oh God, do something about the devil. The Apostle Paul said that one time. He said, oh God, I've asked you three times. Take care of this demon for me. Because it was a demon spirit, the scripture says. I've asked you three times, and God said, my grace is the barrier for you. See, we have, we have the wrong idea when we're saying, God, please beat up the devil for me. <laughs> Lord, stop the devil. The church has never been instructed to pray that way. We've been instructed to take authority over the devil. We've been instructed to have power over the devil. In fact, to ask God to take care of the devil for you is a waste of your time. Mm -hmm. You have authority over the devil. See, the believer is told to do something about the devil. Aren't you amazed at all the songs? Well, he moves the mountains for me. No, he doesn't. We move the mountains. Mm -hmm. We have authority over the demons. Again, I can't ask God to do something that he gave me the power to do or the authority to do. See, the believer is told to do something about the devil. The reason is because you have the authority to do it. I mean, we need to understand that. We have authority over the devil. The church is not to pray to God the Father about the devil. The church is to exercise authority that belongs to her. The scripture says 
In James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't ask God to make him stop. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We resist, the devil flees. It's our authority whether we feel like it or not. I don't have to feel like I have authority over the devil. I just have to take it. We have authority. Authority has nothing to do with my feelings. We exercise it. Listen to this verse. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. This is from the American Standard Version. It says, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. It says, Whom withstand steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world. We withstand the devil. It says, you withstand the devil in your faith. You stop him. You make him quit. Romans 5 verse 17 says, For by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. We reign in life. We have authority over the devil. It's ours. We must take it and take authority over the devil. Listen, I believe we can do whatever he told us to do. Victory is ours for the taking when that authority, the revelation of authority, becomes our revelation. We can take a stand against the devil. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you've given us authority, that we must take authority in the age in which we live. Lord, I thank you that our assignment is to overcome the devil, overcome the enemy. I thank you, Father, for your goodness and your favor. In Jesus' name, amen.